church is a well-taught church. Here at Victory Life, you know, we try to teach the Word of God, the unadulterated, unwatered-down Word of God. We try to correct using the Word of God. We try to counsel and instruct using the Word of God. And so this morning, I'm going to step back to my usual preaching, and I'm going to try and instruct our body right here, Victory Life, with the Word of God. And so in Jeremiah chapter 3, starting at verse 11, and the, word, the Word of God reads like this. It says, And the Lord said to me, Faithless Israel has proved herself more righteous than treacherous Judah. Go and proclaim these words toward the north and say, Return, faithless Israel, declares the Lord. I will not look upon you in anger, for I am gracious, declares the Lord. I will not be angry forever. Only acknowledge your iniquity. It's saying confront it, point it out, acknowledge it, that you have transgressed against the Lord your God and have scattered your favors to the strangers under every green tree, and you have not obeyed my voice, declares the Lord. It's a call to repentance, a nationwide call to repentance. And return, O faithless sons, declares the Lord, for I am a master to you, and I will take you one from a city and two from a family, and I will bring you to Zion. Amen. Anybody want to go to Zion? In verse 15, after you've repented, after you've turned away from your iniquity, your sin, and you turn towards God, this is his promise towards you right here. It says, then I will give you shepherds after my own heart, who will feed you on knowledge and understanding. So, Father, let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, Lord, we just invite your Holy Spirit here. Allow me to get out of the way, Lord, and season my words with grace as we season food with salt. Lord, I pray, God, that this word goes forth, penetrates our inner man, our inner woman, our inner being, Lord, so we can be fully knowledgeable in the word, instructed for all righteousness. Lord, I pray that your anointing is in this place, God, and your presence continues to heal, restore, and minister to the hearts of your children here this morning. I pray all this in Jesus' name. And all the saints said, Amen. 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 Come on, give God a, a hand praise. Amen. Amen. Pastor Raymond told me I got some four o'clock, so I got seven points. I hope you guys are ready. Four o'clock, that's right. No, I'm just kidding. Elliot bought steaks, so we're going to be out of here quick. <laughs> but the title of my sermon is, What Will You Do With the Gift God Has Given You? What will you do with the gift God has given you? You can go ahead and put that scripture, Ephesians chapter 4 on the screen. And I'm really just going to try and teach for a little bit the church. Try to build a foundation. In Ephesians chapter 4 verse 11, the word of God reads like this. Amen. It says, in his gifts, whose gifts? Amen. God's gifts. His gifts to the church. Who's the church? We are. We're the church. So God's gifts to us were varied, and he himself appointed some apostles, which are special messengers, the representatives. He appointed some as prophets who speak a message from God to the people, some as evangelists who spread the good news of salvation, and some as pastors. Somebody say pastors. Some as pastors and teachers to shepherd and guide and instruct. 
And so these are gifts given to the church. And so I'm here to tell you today that your pastor, Pastor Raymond, the senior pastor, the shepherd of this flock, guess what? He is a gift given by God to shepherd and guide and instruct you. And so my question this morning is to you, what will you do with the gift God has given you in Pastor Raymond? What will you do with the gift God has given you? And go to verse 12. And he did this to fully equip and perfect the saints, God's people, that's us. He sent us to a church body. He sent us to a church family. Why? To be equipped and perfected. Why? Because we are God's people. And God is not done with you until your character matches the character of Jesus. Until you see Jesus and he confronts you face to face and says, well done, good and faithful servant. God is not done with you yet. And so that tells me until I get to heaven to see the Lord and the master shepherd in this life, in this walk, I need a pastor to guide me, to instruct me, and to correct me. Amen. And he did this to fully, somebody say fully. You see, you can go on this walk and not be fully equipped if you want to, but I want to be fully equipped. I want to be fully equipped for God's people, for the works of service to build up the body of Christ. In verse 13, until we all reach oneness in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God, growing spiritually, speaking of people that want to grow spiritually, To become a mature, somebody say mature. This is all heavy words right here. Mature, developed, growing spiritually, reaching the measure of fullness of Christ, manifesting his spiritual completeness and exercising our spiritual gifts in, what's that word? What's that word? Unity. 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 And so guess what God is going to do? God is going to use the shepherd of the house to bring unity when there's division. And you know, a pastor, did you know the word pastor? This is a fun fact for you. The word pastor is never used in the New Testament. The only time you see the word pastor is in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 11, and it's pastors. That's the only time it's used in the whole Bible. Did you know that? That's the only time in the whole Bible the word pastor is ever used. Because back then, what they would say is shepherd. You see, the Western culture, you know, our times, our study, we modernized church, and it's pastor this, and pastor over that, and pastor this, and pastor over that, when the reality is Pastor Raymond is our shepherd. He's our shepherd. And you know, shepherds, sometimes they got some dumb sheep. (laughs) Bad, 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 right? Sometimes they got some dumb sheep, and some sheep need a little more attention, and some sheep need a little more correction, and some sheep need a little more love than others. But that's why God, like he said in Jeremiah, he gives us a pastor according to his own heart. And so the pastor, Pastor Raymond, you have in your life, that is God's heart towards you. That's God's heart towards you. Mm. Come on, somebody. Mm. That's God's heart towards you. I was told a long time ago when I first came into this thing, you want to check your relationship with God, check your relationship with your pastor. Because however your relationship is with your pastor at the moment, most likely that's how your relationship is with the Lord. If you're in sin and you want nothing to do with your pastor, I ain't calling him. I ain't going to go to his house. I ain't going to walk in his house like this. I ain't going to go around him. Most likely it's because you got something in your life that you don't want uncovered. 
in that same status you have with your pastor is the same way you are with the Lord at the moment. Amen? So a pastor is a shepherd. And the word pastor, right, like I said, it's a shepherd. And four things right here, you can put them up. Four things. Because we got a lot of people these days who just put pastor in front of the name. Uh, and so a pastor, number one, is called by God. Number two, a pastor is chosen by God. Number three, a pastor is appointed and anointed by God. A pastor, number four, is sent by God. In Acts chapter 19, verse 11, I'm going to try and go over this. I got a lot of material, so I'm going to try and get through it. I'm trying to go fellowship today, man. Acts chapter 19, verse 11. Acts 19, verse 11. Let me show you something. In Acts 19, verse 11, you know what's happening? These Jews saw Christians casting out demons. They saw Christians preaching the gospel. They saw Christians laying hands on the sick and being healed. They saw all the miracles. They saw all the blessings that the pastors had. They saw all the renown, the fame that the people of God had. They saw it. And so you know what they did? They wanted it. And so they just started throwing the name of Jesus in what they were doing. They weren't doing what Jesus wanted them to do. They were doing what they wanted to do, and they told God to bless it. And let's see how this works out for them. In verse 11, it says, God was performing extraordinary miracles by the hands of Paul. There's your pastor, Pastor Paul. And so that the handkerchiefs or aprons were even carried from Paul's body to the sick, and the diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out. That's one heck of an anointing right there, boy. Or do-rags and bandanas was casting out demons. <laughs> Boy. But also, some of the Jewish exorcists who went from place to place, they attempted to name over those who had evil spirits with the name of the Lord Jesus. And this is what they did say, I adjure you by Jesus when Paul preaches. And so you know what they did here? They tried to do something that they saw someone else doing without the grace of God to finish it. You see, grace is funny. Grace on somebody's life can make something so difficult look easy. Grace can make something so hard look easy. Right? You know, Mama Heather, she has a special grace to deal with Pastor Raymond. Right? She has a special grace to deal with Pastor Raymond. And we see how easy she deals with Pastor Raymond, and we think it's easy, and then we get entangled in a situation where them are like, whoa, this is not easy. <laughs> Why? Because Mama Heather has a special measure of grace. <laughs> but grace will make something look it's totally difficult. It'll make it look so easy. And that's why when people see Pastor Raymond and they see the blessings he has and they see this and they see that and they're like, hmm, well, he's doing this, but I want all that. And so maybe all I have to do is do this. But if you try to do this without the grace of God that's on his life, you will utterly fail. You will utterly fail. Listen, you have to be called by God. You have to be chosen by God. You have to be appointed and anointed by God. And you have to be sent by God. Amen. You can't just throw the name of Jesus and everything and expect God to bless it. It don't work like that. Amen. Keep reading. And the seven sons, one of Sceva, Jewish chief priests, were doing this. <laughs> Keep going. And the evil spirit answered, oh my gosh. Oh. Imagine the look on their faces. <laughs> that demon didn't sit down. That demon called out. They said, I know Jesus and I know Pastor Paul. And that demon said, who are you? Mm -hmm. Wow. 
You know what the demon's doing? Because the devil knows you don't know your identity, so you have no power. And so when you don't understand your identity, you have no power to overcome the devil. Hey, come on. The devil's even checking. My gosh. The devil says, who are you? You don't even know who you are. And it says, the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued them, all of them, and overpowered them because they lacked the grace to answer the call. They lacked that grace. And so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. You see, to answer the call of a pastor, you have to have a special measure of grace. And you see, like I said before, grace makes difficult things look really easy. And there are assignments, spiritual assignments, that are on your life that God has only given you the special measure of grace to accomplish. There are things in your life that only you can do. And the only reason you can do it is because you have a special measure of grace upon your life. And so just like Ephesians said, Ephesians 4, it said your pastor is a gift from God. Now please, I would just please invite everyone to take notes during this. Your pastor is a gift from God. Your pastor is a gift from God. I know this isn't a message to just brown nose or getting good with the pastor, but this is a message of instruction to instruct God's people in the church. Because if we can fully understand why God has given us a pastor in our life, I feel like we will benefit from it more than we would without having to understand it. We'll fully come to know why pastor's in our life and we can come to fully know how to receive him, how to respect him, how to... uh, uh, Allow him to speak into our life. You see, when God gives a gift, check this out. When God gives a gift, it's something you need. Mm-hmm. When God gives a gift, it's something you need. Just like he's given us the Holy Spirit. Because without the Holy Spirit, all our ministry efforts are vain. They're all in vain. God has given us the Holy Spirit because we need the Holy Spirit to accomplish what God's called us to accomplish. And I'll go old school with it. Just like Freddie Garcia said, the ex-drug addict needs the Holy Ghost. The ex-alcoholic needs the Holy Ghost. You cannot stay sober without the Holy Spirit in your life. The task of staying sober in sobriety is too great of a task for you without the Holy Ghost. You have to have the Holy Spirit. You're trying to stay sober, and now you're trying to do ministry aside from the Holy Ghost? You must be crazy. (laughs) You must be crazy. Not only are you trying to stay sober, but now you're trying to do the work of God with opposition from the enemy, which is the devil. Without the Holy Spirit, you must be crazy. And so when God gives gifts, there's a reason. It's because we need them. Amen? And check this out. If you're going to grow in God and fully mature and develop, you may get some word in you, this, this, and that. But if you're going to grow in God and fully mature and develop, guess what? You need a pastor. Mm-hmm. You need a pastor. Mm-hmm. This is good stuff. Write this down. This is good stuff right here. To reject the pastor in your life, to reject the pastor in your life is to reject someone God uses to correct you. To reject the pastor is to reject someone God uses to correct you. To reject the pastor is to reject someone God uses to teach you the word of God. If you're wanting to learn to drive a car and your driving instructor 
comes and teaches you and you say, no, I don't want that. I reject you. You're rejecting the very person trying to teach you how to drive. To reject the pastor is to reject someone God uses to teach you the word. And check this out. And this is as simplest as I can get it right here. To reject the pastor is to reject the salvation. To reject the pastor is to reject the salvation. Amen? You know, for you in the home, you can even be more personal with it. To reject your director, your leader, it's to reject discipleship. But I'm talking to the church today, amen? amen? And all you in the home, some of y'all are in the church. I'm trying to instruct the church today. We teach the ministry all day long. We're trying to instruct the church today, amen? amen. To reject the pastor is to reject discipleship. And when you, check this out, when you reject the gift of God, you actually suffer unnecessarily. You will suffer unnecessarily when you reject the gift of God. There's a lot of things that we try to do outside of the counsel of God. Maybe we don't want pastor's opinion on this decision. Maybe we don't want pastor's counsel on this decision. Why? Because we know what he's going to say. Pastor, I want to, not right now. It's already in your head. I'm not going to include pastor in this because I want it and I want it now. You know what you're really saying? You know what you're really saying? I know God don't want it for me right now, but I want it right now. I know God don't want it for me right now, but I want it right now, and so I'm not going to even include anybody's counsel in this. Amen? And when God gives a gift, he always gives instruction for the gift. And this is good right here. When you don't know the purpose of something or someone in your life, abuse is inevitable. When you don't know the purpose of something or someone in your life, abuse is inevitable. And so guess what? If you don't fully understand why God's giving you a pastor, I'm going to be real. I've been too. Guess what? You will abuse your pastor. Mm. You will abuse your pastor. If you don't understand why God has given you, fully understand why God has given you a pastor in your life, abuse is inevitable. You actually abuse your pastor. Come on, somebody. Mm -hmm. Some amens. Amen. Amen. Luke chapter 6. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. Luke chapter 6, verse 45. You know, there's been, uh, I say several times, you can take it several times, time is probably about a million times that I've frustrated Pastor Raymond. <laughs> right? That I've frustrated him with my actions, my behavior, my decisions, you know, whatever it is. I've frustrated him, right? But he's always told me that he don't want to force people, right, to, to respect him or understand him. Just like, you know, he don't want to force people to pray. He don't want to force people to come to church hungry for the word. He don't want to force someone to do the right thing. Are you seeing what I'm saying? He don't want to force that. But in Luke, this is what Jesus says. The good man out of the good treasure of his heart brings forth what is good. And the evil man out of the evil treasure brings forth what is evil. For his mouth speaks from that which fills his heart. And these things I'm about to go over, I have to go over seven things. I'm going to go over seven things that you can do for your pastor. 
And I'm not talking about just Pastor Raymond. I'm talking about Mama Heather, too. Because right. the pastor of this movement of God that God birthed here at Victory Life. Right. There are the gifts. Some of the gifts. There's more gifts. There's more people that God has uh, planted here at Victory Life. But we're talking about the pastoralship today. Pastor Raymond and Pastor Heather. Right? They're the gifts that God has given this movement, Victory Life, this movement of God, Victory Life, through the gifts. And I'm about to go over seven things that you can do for your pastor. And those in the church, please write this stuff down, go over it, right? Seven things. But these things I'm going over, I don't want it to be things that you feel like you're forced to do. Does that make sense? I don't want you to feel like you're forced to do it, right? You need to do these things because it's in your heart. This is what flows out of you. It's in your heart. Just like in the home. You know how frustrating it is to have someone that's been in the ministry for a year and a half, and you still have to tell them to pray during prayer time? Uh, I promise you. We don't want to have to do that. We don't have to force somebody to seek Jesus, to love Jesus. We want it to flow out of their hearts. And so I believe if you really, really study the Word of God, you really go to God with yourself, God will minister to you, and everything that I'm preaching from this pulpit, He will validate to you. Amen. He will validate to you. And so number one, for the first point, number one, the first thing you can do for your pastor is be hungry for the Word of God. The first thing you can do for your senior pastor is be hungry for the Word of God. Be hungry for the Word of God. You know, Mama used to cook after football practice. Every football practice, and I've used this illustration before, but it always comes to mind. Mama used to cook after every football practice. And we would come over, and everybody would eat, and we'd have a good time, and we'd kick everybody out, or actually kick everybody out, so you nobody hang out. And so she would invite everybody over and feed, and there was a certain young man at the football practice, he would always come over, right? And he'd take a bite or two, and he'd pass the plate. Or he'd say, no, I'm good, or no, I'm not hungry. And Mama knew after football practice, you hungry, right? You hungry, you finna eat up the whole house, right, the pantry. And so she knew that, that he wasn't wanting what she was cooking, and so guess what started happening? When my mom would cook after practice, we would come over, she quit serving the young man who said he wouldn't eat. She quit serving him. She quit serving him. Because he didn't show up hungry. Did you know the level of the word of God being poured out here in this ministry is determined by the level of your hunger? The level of the word of God being poured out in this house church, the home, through your pastoralship, through your leadership, is determined by the level of your hunger for the Word of God. If everybody comes in here hungry for a word and they're wanting to learn and they're wanting to grow, guess what? God's going to show up and show out. God is going to deliver. God is going to pour out. There have been so many times, I've seen it personally, Pastor Raymond, you know, he don't necessarily know what he's going to preach and he's not ready, right? When we come in here and the worship's awesome, as you can tell, everybody's receiving, and everybody's hungry, and he'll get up here and it just flows out. God just shows up, God speaks, it just pours out. Why? Because you came in hungry. You came in hungry for the word. You are God's child. It's God's word. Pastor Raymond or the preacher is just the vehicle of the word to get to you. The level of the word of God being poured out is determined by the level of your hunger. So the first thing you can do is be hungry for the word of God. One of the worst things you can do when someone prepares a meal 
here, cooking up some stuff, slaving over the stove, sweating, having to deal with Addie, Gracie, Anthony, Alex, me, and the rest of the home, and then Addie's friends, and then Gracie's friends, and then Anthony, and everything else, and she's in there cooking, and she's doing all this stuff, and she puts the plate in front of Pastor Raymond, and Pastor Raymond says, I don't know how hungry it gets up. Guess what? I'm not going to be happy. Mama's going to be a little frustrated, right? The worst thing you can do is when someone prepares a meal, you not eat. So guess what? You know what it's like being behind this pulpit and looking at people sleeping? <laughs> do you know what it's like being up here in this pulpit and seeing people on their phones? Being up here in this pulpit and seeing people jack around doing stuff? And we spit days Listen, you got to understand this. Pastor Raymond has four kids. He's got all of us, and he's got his wife. You know he spends mostly all day Saturday away from his family, away from us, to get with God in the study so we can come in here on Sunday morning and receive the word of God. And when he comes in here, some of us are sleeping, not listening, jacking around. And he's actually denying stuff he wants to do with his family to prepare a word to give to you. Uh huh. Prepare a word to give to you. And you come in here not hungry for the word of God. Amen? Yeah. And so the first thing, you want to know how to please your pastor? You ain't got to buy him stuff, give him stuff. The first thing you can do to please your pastor is be hungry for the word of God. Yeah. It's to be hungry for the word of God. Amen? Number two, the second thing, this is a good one, the second thing you can do to help your pastor. Is begin to take care of the church. The second thing you can do to begin to take care of the church. Amen? You know, it's just like growing up. You got a lot of kids and stuff. And, you know, when you're younger, you need all the attention from your parents. You know? Your mom, your daddy, you need attention, you need this. Right? But as you get a little older, you get a little more responsible. Right? You kind of get the feeling, hey, I want to show my dad I'm responsible now. You know, I don't want to go to him for everything. I want to start trying to take care of my own stuff, right? Or some of you know that maybe moved out, you know, at an early age, 16, 17, 18. You're like, hey, I want to show my parents I'm responsible. You know, I want to do this, go ahead and take care of stuff, right? Well, it's the same, it's the same thought process in the church. You see, if you've been around a while, you shouldn't need all the attention. Come on, down, man. Come on. If you've been around a while, you shouldn't have to wait for the pastor come to on, come man. pray for somebody hurting on the chair. When you see somebody back there crying, you've been around for a few years, and something inside you says, go talk to him. You say, no, I'm going to let the pastor do that. You should have something inside you that says, man, I should begin to take care of the church. I should take care of these things. I should take care of these people. I should help build up the body. I should help pray. I should help minister. If you've been around a while, you don't need all the attention. Right? You need to begin to help nurture the people in the church. Help nurture the people in the church. Amen? To help nurture the people in the church. You know the reality on a Sunday morning, the reality of it, unless, you know, like a pastor schedules anything else, the reality of it is when Pastor Randy comes in, he shouldn't have to take care of anything when he comes in, but to go hit his knees and pray and get up and come in here and share the word. Amen. Amen. Everything else should be taken care of. 
from the lights to the practice to the set list. To, and we're getting better. As a church, we're growing and we're getting better. I remember there was a day when Pastor Raymond comes in and he had to get the worship together and he had to turn the lights on and he had to take the trash out and he had to get the uh, set list and he had to be the one praying and the one preaching and the one opening and the one emceeing. And he had to do it all. And so as a church, we're beginning to grow and develop into where, you know, we can go forward into the next season, into the next level with God corporately as a ministry, as a church, as a body. But the second thing you do is take care, right? And this is deep right here. Many, many pastors today, many pastors are abused by the people. Do you want to know why pastors today are abused by the people? They have no interest or love for the word of God, for discipleship. Because if you have no interest for the word of God, or discipleship, but you're always, you're always requiring attention, and you're always requiring time, and you're always requiring things from your pastor, but God has called him to disciple and preach the word. You don't want to be discipled, right? You don't love the word of God. You see what I'm saying? And that's how we can get in this mode where we abuse the pastor. Amen? And so the second thing we can do is begin to take care of the church. Number three. Number three, this is the third thing you can do. This is, a, this is real hard. The third thing you can do to, to help your pastor is grow in God. The third thing you can do to help your pastor is grow in God. There's a statistic. It's a statistic, right? Tongue tied. There's a statistic. Statistic, man. An There's a statistic on failing students, right? And I read this yesterday. And you know, failing students, the teachers and the school committees, right, and the boards, they're actually understanding that flunking and failing a child is actually worse than letting them go forward without passing. You want to know why? Because the statistic is people that flunk grades or they fail grades. These two things happen. They become a discipline problem for the school or the teachers. Or number two, when they get old enough, this isn't always, but it's sometimes, or most of the time, they become a discipline problem for the school and the teachers. Or number two, they drop out when they get old enough to do it. That's the statistics on people that fail and flunk grades. And so they're beginning to realize, these teachers, these committees, that they need to go the extra step to help these students go to the next grade. Go to the next level. Have summer school. Have overnight school. Give them the test again. Give them the test the fourth time. Give them the test. Get these kids to the next grade so they don't uh, drop out or they don't become a discipline problem. And guess what I visualized when I read that? I saw it in the church. When you refuse to go to the next level with God, you actually become a discipline problem in the church. Amen. When you refuse to go to the next level where God's trying to take us, you're like, ah, ah, I ain't going, ah. And everybody else is trying to go, and you're like, ah, I ain't doing it, I ain't going. You actually become a discipline problem in the church. Or number two, you drop out. Huh? It's the same thing. God says grow, God says go, and you say no, guess what? Now you're like a sore thumb that sticks out in this body. We have to confront it and correct it like you were talking about, sister. You gotta confront it and you gotta correct it. Why? Because God, as a body, is telling this body to grow, go to the next level. And anyone that says, no, I don't want to, you just became a problem for the pastorship. 
And so instead of strategizing how we can go to the next level, how to get momentum and go forward with this call, go forward with this movement, now we got to spend time over here confronting and correcting this. Come on, somebody. The third thing you can do is grow in God. We must grow. You see, it's, it's up to us to apply and walk in what's been given to us through the gifts of the church, through the pastor, the evangelist, the prophet, the, the apostle, the preacher. It's up to us to apply it and to walk in it. Amen? It's up to us. We need to grow in God. We need to grow in God. It's up to us. And so number four, the fourth thing, the fourth thing you can do to help your pastor, guess what? Is pray for your pastor. Pray for your pastor. I heard Pastor Raymond say it before. Don't put me on a pedestal. Put me on your prayer list. Amen? Don't put me on a pedestal because I'm human. I ain't going to fail you. Right? I'm not God. I was telling the, the homeboys yesterday, or the day before, I think, you want to know the fastest way down? Try to play God in somebody's life. That's the fastest way to go down. The fastest way to fail is try to play God in somebody else's life. God will remind you really quick you ain't God. Come on, man. And you know, I was sharing on the example of Abraham and Lot, right? Brother always likes this. But in the Bible, in Genesis, it says Abram was called by God to leave his family, leave his place, and leave these things. And then in Genesis 12, it says Abram went and did what God wanted him to do, right? But it says something really unique. It says Lot went with him, right? Lot went with him. And God called Abram. He didn't call Lot. But what Abram did is he tried to play God in Lot's life. Come on, and he tried to pull him along. Come on, and he tried to pull him along. And when he wanted to go to Sodom, Abram tried to play God and wouldn't do it. And guess what happened? Lot left, and he burnt Abram every time. He burnt him every time. Because Abram wasn't God. He was the man of God. And so the fastest way down, folks, is to try and play God in somebody else's life. Amen? But the fourth thing you can do is pray for your pastor. This is the, this is the fourth thing. This is a really, really essential thing. Pray for what? Number one, pray for his health. Number one, pray for his health. I'm talking about Mama had, you know, the spiritual lady in the house, the, the women's pastor of the house, and Pastor Raymond. Pray for him. Health. Number two, strength. Pray for spiritual and even physical strength. Number three, pray that their needs are met. Number four, pray for finances. Number five, pray for their family. Number six, pray that the Holy Spirit flows through them. The Holy Spirit gives them wisdom for our lives. Number seven, pray that they're not deceived by you. Come on. <laughs> yes. Pray that they're not deceived. And then for parentheses, by me. Pray that they're not deceived. Number eight, pray their fruit, their spiritual fruit remains. Pray their fruit remains. Number nine, pray God's word takes course. Pray the vision and the word that they give a pastor takes course and takes action. Number 10, pray for church members. Number 10, pray for church members in the church. Because he's claiming it and he's believing it. He's just waiting on us to claim it and believe it. 
Church members, number 11, pray for the vision that God's given you. Pray for the vision God has given you. And if you don't know the vision of the church, please give it back to Brandon. Do you know the Bible says that without vision, the people go into the strength? They won't go forward without vision. And so guess what? If you're in this church and you don't know the vision of this church, you need to understand the vision of this church. Number 12, wisdom. Pray for wisdom. Number 13, pray for knowledge of the word that grows in knowledge, grows in understanding. Number 14, understanding. You know, knowledge and understanding. You can pray for him. The fourth thing you can do for your pastor is pray for him. The fourth thing you can do for the preacher is pray for him. Your leader, pray for him. Right? And so check this out. Put the diagram up there. If we just prayed one minute a day for our pastor, put it up there. Check this out. Say there's 100 members. 100 members times 365 days is 36,500 minutes. 36,500 minutes divided by 60 minutes is 608.3 hours. 608.3 hours divided by 24 hours is 25.3 days. If everyone in this room just prayed for Pastor Eric and Pastor Heather just one minute a day, at the end of the year, that would be 25 days worth of prayer. Amen. 25 days worth of prayer. So when you're in your prayer closet, when you're hitting your knees, Father, I lift up Pastor Raymond. I pray, God, that you just give him wisdom and just continue to feed his vision and fuel the fire of momentum so he can go forward here with the ministry and the church. I pray for church members to come into the church. I pray for his health, his family. I pray his needs are met, God. And I pray, Father God, you give him wisdom concerning my life and victory life's vision and their future, Lord. I pray all this in Jesus' name. You do that once every day. That's 25 days worth of prayer for your pastor. Amen. Amen. Imagine if we all did it. Imagine if we all did it. And number five, the fifth thing you can do to your pastor is encouraging. A lot of us forget that he's still a man. The fifth thing you can do for your pastor is encouraging. Encouraging. You know, in the Bible, the Bible talks about all the pastors and the, you know, the, the leaders and the apostles, they always had somebody with them that would minister to them. And that word ministry means to, to encourage, to lift up. You know what I'm saying? To help. Your pastor needs encouragement from you. He needs encouragement from you. Because if you think about it, all he does all day long is deal with our burdens. Deal with our hurts. Deal with our struggles. Deal with our problems. So at the end of the day, he's got his own burdens. And he's got ours. And so maybe sometimes... Instead of telling him everything wrong in your life and how you need to answer, maybe you need to tell him, hey, you're doing a good job. Hey, you're doing a good job. You're doing good, Pastor. Appreciate you, Pastor. You see, he may seem like Superman, but he's just a man. Amen? And Pastor's the same way as you. You don't want to hang around someone that's constantly talking negative and constantly talking critical. You don't want to hang with them, especially as a pastor. You got your own burdens, you got your family, you got the ministry burden, the church burdens, everybody's burdens, and then you're just hanging with this dude, and he's just negative, 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 negative. You don't, you can't, that can't be a rapid pastor. You know what I'm saying? You can't have that, because he's the shepherd of his flock, right? He's the shepherd of his flock. Amen? The sixth thing, and go to 1 Timothy 3.7. 1 Timothy 3.7, the sixth thing you can do for your pastor, Brother Elliot, is defend 
The sixth thing that you can do for your pastor is defend him. First Timothy 3 7. I'm trying to find the scriptures you guys can see. Okay, 2 Timothy 4 14. Second Timothy 4 14. The word of God reads like this. And this is Paul writing a letter to Timothy. He says, Alexander the coppersmith did me much harm. The Lord will repay him according to his deeds. And elsewhere in the Bible, he talks about Alexander the coppersmith. And what had happened is Alexander the coppersmith, when the apostle Paul wasn't around, Alexander the coppersmith was constantly degrading the name of Pastor Paul. He was constantly gossiping about Pastor Paul. He was constantly talking negative about Pastor Paul. And so when you hear someone talking negative about your pastor, guess what you need to do as a church member here at Victory Life? You need to defend him. And Paul says this about it. Paul says, the Lord will repay him according to his deeds. Mm -hmm. Even if you fail to step up to the plate and defend him, guess what? The Lord will defend him. And it may not be with a verbal rebuke. <laughs> I would way rather someone rebuke me than the Lord deal with me. Amen. Amen? And so the sixth thing you can do is defend your pastor. And so number seven, worship team, you can come up. Number seven, the seventh thing you can do is run with the vision God's given you. The seventh thing you can do is run with the vision God has given you. Go to 2 Kings. Go to 2 Kings chapter 2. The seventh thing you can do for your pastor is run with the vision God has given you. 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12 and 14. And we all know the story of Elijah and Elisha, right? And Elijah was, in essence, the pastor of Elisha. And so Elisha was following Pastor Elijah. And he wanted to do what Pastor Elijah was doing. 
He wanted a double portion of what Pastor Elijah had. In 2 Kings chapter 2, verse 12, the word of God reads, it says, Elijah saw it and he cried out. He said, my father, my father, the chariots of Israel and its horsemen. And it says he saw Elijah no more. Then he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. And he also took up the mantle of Elijah that fell from him and returned and stood by the bank of Jordan. And so what this Elijah did, and he says he took the mantle of Elijah that fell from him, struck the waters and said, where is the Lord, the God of Elijah? When he also struck the waters, they were divided there and here, and Elijah crossed over. And so what Elijah had did is he inherited the vision of his pastor, and he ran with the vision. His pastor's vision. He ran with the vision. And here at Victory Life, our ministry has a vision. Our church has a vision. It's not a selfish vision. It's not a vision about getting in this life. It's not a vision about momentary gain, temporary pleasure. It's not a vision to me, 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 selfish ambition, selfish dreams, desires. The vision is not that. But the vision is a ministry mindset. It's eternal. It's about other people. It's about giving. It's selfless. It's sacrificial. The vision here. And so check this out. Elijah reigned with the vision that his pastor had. Number one, the first thing, the only way you, you're going to be able to run with the vision. Number one, Elijah burned his plow. You know the story. When Elijah came to him, he burned his plow. He burned his own personal plans. Listen. You have to be willing to sow your personal plans to reap your God-given assignment. You have to be willing to sow your personal plans to reap your God-given assignment. You can never take the plows of your present into the land of your future. You can never take the plows of your present into the land of your future. Number two, this is the second thing Elijah did. Number two, you have to disconnect what others think in order to follow what you know. You gotta disconnect what others think to follow what you know. Check this out, saints. The moment you open the door to outside opinion is the moment you dilute your pursuit of the vision. The moment you open the, the door to outside opinion and the more you listen to those that are not pursuing the vision, the more your focus will be lessened. And number three, this is hard stuff. Number three, the only the only this is the only way you can follow the vision. Number three, following without a guarantee of what you will receive. Following without a guarantee of what you will receive. You must be willing to sow the seed of sacrifice by faith. You see, saints, listen, God never instructs you because of where you're at. But he instructs you because of where you're going. God never instructs you because of where you're at. He instructs you because of where you're going. And number four, if you want to follow the vision that Pastor Ray is getting from God, number four, you have to understand the power of pursuit. You have to understand the power of pursuit. You see, pursuit will even have to push you through rejection from people in the church and national insecurity of no guarantee of what you will receive. 